0: All right. Hi, everyone. My name is Daniel Belkin. I'm a fourth year medical student filling in for Dr. Nasser today. And I am proud to present our health technology innovation podcast on remote patient monitoring in COVID-19. Our program is hosted by the Montefiore Einstein Innovation Biodesign Training Program. And our podcast guest today is Dr. Jonathan Leff. Dr. Leff trained at Montefiore Medical Center in anesthesiology and completed a fellowship in adult cardiothoracic anesthesiology. He has been a faculty member at Montefiore and Albert Einstein College of Medicine since 2006, and he is the chief of cardiothoracic anesthesiology. In 2020, Dr. Leff received a CTSA catalytic seed grant for the study of remote monitoring in COVID-19 patients. He is an editor for multiple journals pertaining to cardiothoracic anesthesiology and serves on the editorial board for the Journal of Cardiothoracic and Vascular Anesthesia. Neither Dr. Leff nor I have any relevant relationships to disclose. Dr. Leff, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and for all the work that the group has done.
0: So can you take a few moments and explain your overall approach to digital health technologies for the perioperative setting?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I can. I could take a few moments. I could take a a few hours. I don't think we have as much time as we need uh, to discuss all these because it's such a huge topic and how we incorporate these technologies into our clinical setting, especially the perioperative setting. Um, So when we think about it, we talk about the patients and the patients uh, these days have gotten more complex, and the operations we uh, we perform are more complicated. So we need to use our technologies in order to benefit the patients. So when we think about it, we're very patient-centric with this. So we don't bring on technology unless we think it's going to help either patient outcome or the patient's experience through the operative um, um, uh, phases. Uh, the other thing we think about is, and when we we're talking about bringing on the technology, we talk about how it's going to benefit uh, us as physicians. Uh, too often, we're working for technology, and we need to really make sure that technology is working for us. I often hear my, uh, my physicians and the people I work with, uh, they equate themselves to being data entryists and, uh, and doing some medicine on the side. So we really want to get to the point where we are able to use these technologies uh, to make our jobs easier and to, and, and to help our, us take care of the patients.
0: Can you go into detail and describe some more of your work regarding digital health technologies? Yeah.
1: Yeah, um would love to. So the uh, so there are three areas that we really focused on and that we've gone into with um, with some detail here uh, when we talk about these digital technologies and one of those patient engagement platforms. So we recently, and uh, this will come out, we're going to go live with this next few weeks. Um, we have pa- partnered with a company, uh, GetWell Network, uh, to bring on a patient um patient engagement platform so what that's going to allow us to do and then we're going to roll this out for the uh, in the cardiothoracic patient population specifically we're going to do cabbages and valves uh, patients coming in for an operation who are scheduled maybe six weeks in advance are going to get alerted along the way uh, they're going to get alerts four to six weeks before saying stop smoking uh, cessation of smoking is helpful if you're not going to stop if you need help we can provide that for you they're going to get alerts all the way through the into the operation they're going to get alerts during the operative, um, during the in the in in the uh, uh, immediately after the operation, and then in their post-operative care. And it's amazing. I go take a flight somewhere, and I get alerts three days before and days afterwards saying how my flight was. But uh, we're going to try to expect the same out of out of our patients, and as they go through and uh, to engage them throughout the entire process. Uh, some of the other things that we've done, we're going to talk a little bit about remote patient monitoring with uh, with the COVID-19 patients. Um, we're hopeful that that patient population is, uh, is going to go away. Um, we're all hopeful for that. Uh, but we think that this remote patient monitoring is going to have a very big impact on us as we move forward in uh, the perioperative space and both the preoperative area where we look for prehabilitation and the intraoperative space when we look to uh, uh, to expand the coverage of cases, and in the post-operative, when we send these patients home, how are we monitoring them, and are we uh, are we doing a good job of it? And I think remote patient monitoring is going to be helpful in that setting.
0: Hmm. How did your team decide to pursue that project in remote patient monitoring for COVID nineteen, and what what is the patient response been? Yes,
1: yeah, so, so the idea really came out of necessity, right? So in March, the end of March, one of the intensivists uh, reached out to me. Uh, He had been contacted by the administration, and they had asked him to put together a task force or or some physicians to look at how we would be able to ramp up and take care of 8,000 patients uh, in mid-April. A tremendous number. I mean, our number of beds at the Montefiore Health System is probably around that 2,000. So to hear that number was just a major jaw drop. So how are we going to do that? We started looking at different options. We started looking at places where we're going to house these patients. Uh, we looked at schools. We looked at where we're going to use tents. We're going to use stadiums. Uh, so all those started getting explored. And then how are we going to come up with the uh, the supplies for these patients? How are we going to get the beds for these patients? Uh, the hygiene, the what's, uh, you know all the things that we needed to take care of these COVID-19 patients. And we know some of them needed some oxygen. So I was waking up in the middle of the night thinking about, thousands of patients who needed a little bit of oxygen. And then uh, what if one of them decided to light up a cigarette? I mean, this whole thing goes goes up. But um, that was one of the issues. The other one was staffing. How are we going to staff these issues? And then how are we going to monitor these patients? Remote patient monitoring seemed like a great idea. We, we, could, we could still, these patients who seemed like they were low acuity, we could put them in a place and we could mo- remotely monitor them. And then if they started to... Um, uh, uh, quickly um, uh, show increased signs and symptoms, and uh, and do worse. Then we could upgrade their care and bring them in the hospital. So that's where it came from. And then we uh, went forward and uh, applied for some monies, and uh, and was able to receive a grant. And the patient response, uh, and we'll touch on that. That's that was one of the, and we'll talk a little about the study. But the uh, the patient response was extremely positive for this. They uh, uh, both the patient and the families really seemed to get the benefit of. Uh, ha- had an ease of mind knowing that they were being monitored um, during this disease that we weren't sure uh, who was going to do well and who was not. So it definitely eased the patient's mind. And one of our outcomes, secondary outcomes for the study, uh, was the um, patient satisfaction, which looks
0: like that's going to be extremely positive. Can you describe the remote patient monitoring solution that your team implemented and what some of the key features of the solution were?
1: Sure. I think we'll talk about the study a little bit. So um, the study took COVID-19 patients who had presented to the emergency department who were deemed, while having COVID-19, were deemed able to be taken care of at home. Uh, We randomized them to either having remote patient monitoring versus the standard of care at the time. So 150 patients in each one of these groups uh, to see if we could make an impact on the readmission through the emergency department. In other words, how many times they're coming back to the emergency department. Um, we thought we were, we were doing the study of remote patient monitoring versus no remote patient monitoring, but that wasn't really the case. What happened was that Montefiore had been very savvy about this, and they had already rolled out a form of remote patient monitoring, which was that they were calling patients, patients who were COVID positive, who left the ED, who were staying at home. They were calling them on a regular basis, and a lot of them got pulse oximetry. So what we really ended up comparing is continuous remote patient monitoring, which is our group, which received a uh, patch which monitored their heart rate, their EKG, uh, their blood pressure, their pulse ox in real time, and their movement in real time. Uh, That data was then sent over uh, to a tablet and then to the iCloud, where there was a group of physicians and nurses that were monitoring these patients 24-7. So it was more of a study to look at the use of continuous remote patient monitoring versus intermittent remote patient monitoring to see if that was uh, impactful. Um, and there really, when we looked at it, there wasn't much of a difference in terms of who came into the hospital. So it was about equal number of hospital uh, visits or needed need to bring in to the emergency department uh, between the two groups. Uh, we did see a significant, as we just talked about, boosting the, uh, uh, the patient satisfaction seemed to go up. And the, the families also really did uh, feel better that their pa- that their family member was being monitored twenty four seven continuously. So uh, there were some things we're still going to look at of some more of these outcomes. Uh, but the overall study was uh, uh, that's what was performed.
0: Interesting. What were some of the challenges that you encountered, and how did you overcome those challenges?
1: Right. So. Um, you know, rolling out monitoring during a uh, pandemic was challenging. Uh, hats off to our research group that did an amazing job uh, going around and delivering these devices to the Bronx community. They, they really took this on. Uh, and there was another issue that, you know, we didn't have the infrastructure to um, monitor patients 24-7. Uh, so we had to partner with a company that did have that ability. So um, we used a lot of our grant money and then we had some um, uh, subsidizing from the uh, company also uh, to help us with that. And they were monitoring the patients um, where we couldn't. So th- both those things had to be overcome. And that's how we did it. We partnered with a, with a company that provided that. Uh, in the future, we may be able to do that. But right now, we didn't have the infrastructure for it.
0: What advice would you give to a physician who is interested in implementing a remote patient monitoring solution?
1: Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, it's it, it's such a broad uh, topic, like remote patient monitoring, what is it? It's, it's there's so many different, um, uh, so many different ways to do it. So we, like I said, we didn't, we thought we were doing remote patient monitoring versus nothing, but we were doing remote patient monitoring versus intermittent patient monitoring. Uh, the, the idea of one size fits all probably doesn't apply to this. If we try to get one solution but different patients are probably going to benefit from different phases of remote patient monitoring. So take, for instance, the patients who were less critically ill, the patients with COVID-19 who were, uh, uh, who were feeling better, were much less likely to wear the, uh, the patch that we had given to them because they, they felt fine. Uh, the patients who got more acutely ill, they were more likely to wear it around the clock. So it's probably one of those things where we're going to have to uh, figure out which is best for which patient population. And in the acute model, such as uh, the perioperative setting, someone who's immediately post-operative from from heart surgery, perhaps they benefit from continuous monitoring, but maybe somebody who is less ill or somebody who's being followed for chronic diseases, diabetes, asthma, uh, could benefit from something more intermittent. Do
0: you have any advice around obtaining funding for a remote patient monitoring solution?
1: So sure, there's, you know, there's a big appetite right now for looking into these technologies. Um, it seems to be a technology in search of utility. We're trying to find the best place to, to put it. Um, so there is a lot of opportunities for it. CMS just uh, increased their um, reimbursements for remote patient monitoring, which again, now the hospitals are looking to, uh, to, to figure out how to best utilize it. So opportunities through the hospital are there. Um, and opportunities at national and NIH level are also there. Um, and just finding where you think it's going to make the best impact, because each one of us brings a different perspective. Myself as an anesthesiologist, I monitor patients continuously throughout uh, for hours and Um, uh, My perspective on what a patient needs and monitoring is probably different from somebody who is internal medicine, who's following patients chronically. So everyone brings a different perspective to try to figure out where uh, we can best benefit the patient. So... That's uh, uh, my advice is trying to figure out what you need and where you think the best benefit is, and
0: um, and then start exploring the different options because there's a lot of them out there for getting funding. How can digital health technology be leveraged for clinical research?
1: Right. So again, it's a it's a huge topic, right? When we talk about digital technology and healthcare, um, I think you know just really quickly the uh, electronic medical record. I mean, our Epic is a huge. Uh, resource. We have all this data is being continuously streamed for uh, streamed through, and uh, the ability to do observational research is absolutely there. This is that's just a low hanging fruit that uh, uh, that that we all try to uh, to to figure out. So uh, there's that. We've we've used EMR. We came up with a uh, validation tool for predicting uh, uh, patients, so we validated a uh, a tool for prediction who would need blood transfusions during cardiac surgery using the EMR. Uh, these remote patient monitorings, they, there's continuous streaming data. They're just to, uh, coming up with predictive algorithms as we get more and more data. Uh, there, the, where there's data, there's always an opportunity to, uh, uh, to do research and to publish on it. So I think
0: there's a, there's a lot of different avenues for this. How do you see these technologies evolving over the next two to three years? Yeah, I would.
1: Uh, I would imagine that you're going to go into a hospital, and at the front door, you're going to get issued your remote patient monitoring uh, system. You're going to have your data streaming live um, for a number of reasons. First of all, to make sure that you have a safe uh, journey through the hospitalization, but also uh, that data is going to be important. We see it with all kinds of technology. We see Apple fighting to uh, for your uh, uh, for all your health information as as your and your heart rate. So. Uh, that data is going to be important. The hospitals are not going to be late to this game. We're going to know that it's, it's important, and um, I imagine that there is going to be just a uh, just this huge data repository there for all patients in the hospital.
0: What are the risks and benefits of these technologies?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. To your point, there are there are no free lunches. Uh, this is a technology that's that does carry with it a cost. Uh, we're all trying to show value and value is just quality over cost so if we drive the cost way up we'll decrease our value so we do have to kind of remedy that we have to figure out where the uh where that sweet spot is for uh for for cost versus benefit uh there's also a risk as we go to remote that we remove ourselves from our patients and if we don't do it right we'll do that right we'll 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 be further away from our patients and and have less contact with them I, I would think that if we do it right and we leverage this technology in the appropriate way that we'll free ourselves up and be able to spend more time with the patients, which is what our goal is, right? To spend more, less time um, playing with the technology and more time with, uh, at the patient's bedside. So that's my hope and that would be the benefit of it uh, if we
0: do it right. All right. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Is there anything else you would like to add in closing? No, I just have to, you know,
1: the, the entire group, the Biodesign of Montague group has just done a tremendous job uh, really educating a number of people and number of physicians in areas that we wouldn't have been so familiar with. So it's, uh, it's opened their eyes. It's, uh, you know, this space um, is is so ripe for all of us in, he- in, in health care, uh, for the anesthesiologists. The trimest- everybody has a place in this and everyone brings a good perspective to it. And so I'm happy that I got to share mine with you today.